Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour. I'm the founder of Covey Club and of Reinvent Yourself podcast. I have such a wonderful story for you today, especially if you come out of the beauty business or have always loved the beauty business. Um, I love these stories of people who have started somewhere and had a little angle on it that's slightly different, and then it evolves and evolves and evolves into many different things. So we're gonna talk to Audrey Gruss, who's the founder and chairman of the Hope for Depression Research Foundation. Um, but she comes out of marketing and science and beauty and working at Revlon and working at Elizabeth Arden, creating her own brand and then moving over after being successful at creating her own brands and bringing brands from Europe back to the United States. Um, she actually decided that she wanted to do something more meaningful and she wanted to, to delve into an issue that had been in her family for a while, which was depression, um, and to make it more visible, to fund it, apparently, which I did not know, most of the depression um, medications that are out there are a form of Prozac. I didn't know that and just work one way and nobody's really spent a lot of time or had any breakthroughs on creating new ways to treat depression. And as we all know, the reason why this is so timely is coming out of the pandemic. Um, and she actually gave me some numbers on that. Um, we really think there's going to be, and the CDC and the uh, Bureau, the Census Bureau said 41% of adult Americans have some level of depression or anxiety. And we know that coming out of the pandemic, it's gonna be worse. This was, I think a lot of people were hanging on just hoping to get through this, we did. And then kind of the lid's gonna pop off afterwards. And if this is not treated, it's a natural response. That was, a, that was traumatic. The whole world went through a trauma, but we're loath to admit it. Um, and again, a number she gave me, 50% of people with depression don't get treatment, which we all know because we know the people around us. So anyway, it's a wonderful story about how she then created these beautiful white flower fragrances and she put all the money towards actually funding depression um, and anxiety research and where they are. And what I love is just, you just have to listen to how she just used her talents, her background in science, her background in different things and just move them off in a different way and how she made this all happen. So I think um, it's gonna be very inspirational for many of you. And especially since we all love fragrance and we all love beauty and what an interesting, beautiful way to fund science. So here she is, here's Audrey Gruss. So welcome Audrey, so glad to see you today. Good morning, it's my pleasure to be with you. Yeah, so, well, first of all, I wanna say that looking at your Hope fragrances, you hit all my personal favorites. I am a white flower person. In fact, I now live in New Orleans and I just did a morning walk and um, the, uh, the jasmine, there's Confederate jasmine everywhere. There's um, gardenias everywhere. And I was like, I think she's pulled every white flower in the spring in New Orleans <laughs> into her into her fragrance. And you really can, I mean, they are very, very specific and very uh, pretty fragrances. So congratulations on that. I was like, I feel like I just walked through your fragrance. Thank you. But you know what happens, Leslie, when we take the four 
basic white fragrances that my mother especially loved. And you fuse them, you put them together in a new iteration. It becomes something so magical. You mm. might've know there's a little bit of Lily of the Valley, a little bit of the mm. Jasmine, a little gardenia, maybe some of the uh, tuberose that's so sophisticated, but you really don't know what this whole new kind of beautiful fragrance is that you're on, um, uh, that you're, you're on, um, and the aroma that you're smelling. So that's what happens when you mix these in different proportions. And uh, the whole excitement is working with a nose at a fragrance company. And I can tell you more about that as we get into it. Great. Awesome. Yeah. I always thought that would be fun. I, I know one nose from a fragrance company and what an interesting thing, maybe a problem too for them. <laughs> I feel like I smell all the things I don't want to smell also. So, you know, it's like, I don't know what it would be like to, to be overly scenty. So let's talk a little bit about your history and about you, because this is all about reinvention and our listeners want to hear about your reinvention. And let's talk about before you got into Hope uh, Fragrances, what did you do? Like, and I always like to go back to understanding what your trajectory was. Where did you grow up? What did you study in school? Thank you. I grew up in Northern New Jersey and, um, my parents came from Lithuania after the after World War II. They fled the communism that was in the country that took overtook the country, and um, they came to Northern New Jersey. We had some relatives here that sponsored us, and I was a very good student. Um, I went to regular high school, and uh, I got a scholarship to go to Tufts University in Boston. But the one thing that I think was very important and kind of runs through my life is that my parents instilled in me the importance of an education. Uh, They lost everything. It would be like if you and I had to go to China, learn Chinese and and support our children, um, learn it and work and and find ourselves in a whole new culture, whole new environment. So this is what my parents went through and I thought that they were admirable. Um, But they did say that you can lose everything you can't lose your education or what's in your mind. And I also think that that's one of the reasons I went to Tufts, I was pre-med, I wanted to be a doctor. And I think that um, the idea of helping people was always in my mind. It was always with me, it maybe came from my parents and also the fact that they were very generous philanthropic people. They would send care packages back to Lithuania, to Europe, to their relatives to take care of them. Um, and it was kind of instilled in me from the beginning. I loved Tufts. I was a great student. I graduated cum laude. Uh, I remember when I went there, I had the highest grade in English um, of anyone. I placed first in the English placement exam. I just remember that. I don't know why, but I think that that's part of you know that education. I had to study hard. I graduated um, very well from high school too. Um, and um, I think that learning and growing was always very much in, um, in my nature and very much as a result of my parents who taught me the work ethic and that you really have to do things yourself um, and, and count on what's inside you and what motivation you have. And uh, so I think I came from good genes and it stood me very well. Um, 
although I studied science and I graduated with a degree in biology, I found that some of my chemistry courses, and maybe I didn't study as hard in the science courses, um, what came to me more naturally were the humanities and English and the creative kind of areas. And it was so funny because there was um, the drama department and they had tryouts for uh, a Strindberg play, Miss Julie. And I tried out and I got the role and they said, who are you? What, what department are you in? Where did you come from? I said, well, I'm in biology. And actually I couldn't even take the role because my biology, my labs um, were so extensive that I didn't have any free time to um, take a role in, um, in the drama department. But that was very interesting. So I've always had also this creative part in me that came from my mother and this um, and um, very um, kind of maybe scientific based education. I think that whatever I learned in those science classes was very valuable to me. It's a process of thinking, inductive reasoning, deductive reasoning, thinking very clearly, uh, organizing myself the way you'd have to organize yourself in a science class, you know, the, by the phylum, by all of the kind of structure that there is in science. So having those two veins running parallel in my life has always kind of come out in different ways. And I will tell you how I think it worked for me when I Did decided you... to um, get into the nonprofit area, having been in luxury marketing and advertising in my career previously. So let, what I want to know though is, so you didn't go on to med school or did you? I did not go on to med school, but I got a job in a scientific area. I wanted to work with in marketing and advertising. And that of course was not taught in college when I went to school. And what I got was a job at the Revlon Research Center uh, they had more art than some of the museums on the walls, but it was a very scientific oriented center where I was assistant to the medical director, Dr. Dr. Earl Brower, and the director of pharmacological research, Dr. Donald Updike. How do I remember? They were mentors. They were great people. I was literally a glorified secretary, but that's where you started when you had a college degree and not a master's or else you went into a training program in retail. Um, I think they were accepting women in banking in the late sixties, early seventies. Um, but really it was retail or you got a degree and, and went to school. Um, so I had a fabulous time at the research center. We, um, I was responsible for taking certain submissions to Washington to get approval for certain ingredients and whatever, it was a very exciting time there. And then I was hired by J.P. Stevens. They were starting a consumer division in hosiery. They were the largest private uh, textile company. It was the oldest textile company in the United States, but um, uh, um, Burlington was the largest one at the time. And they wanted to start a consumer product because everything they did was unbranded. So they wanted a brand. And I was lucky enough to get the job as director of advertising and fashion at Stevens Hosiery, where we started three brands from scratch. 
and went from zero to 30 million in sales in one year. And uh, I worked with a fabulous person in sales, Dr. Uh, um, Mr. Donald Newman, who had been a real, um, you know, classic traditional um, a salesperson who had traveled to all the retail stores and I went with him to 90 of the top 100 stores in the country and made presentations and really paid my dues by seeing how retail worked and how products were established and promoted and advertised. And I learned so much in those years at uh, J.P. Stevens. Then um, Elizabeth Arden had heard about my work and I was offered a position as director of advertising and merchandising um, at Elizabeth Arden. This was just after Miss Arden had died and Eli Lilly had bought the company. So for me, it was very interesting to have that science connection. I remember we had a new product called Visible Difference, which was a very intensely penetrating moisturizer. And um, I had said, I'd love to go to the lab in Indianapolis and see what research was done on this. And nobody had ever asked to do that. So I went to Indianapolis and as they took me to the lab, I said, I'd love to see some of the experiments. And they showed me something with blue squiggly lines. And they said, this, this is the penetration studies of this particular moisturizer or the key ingredients of the moisturizer. I was fascinated and I looked at the studies and I said, oh my goodness, nobody has ever used this approach in the creative positioning of a product. I went back to New York, worked with my creative team. They came up with the name Visible Difference and we came up with the first retail advertising ever uh, where a, a product said that we penetrate 30 skin layers. And um, with, a, with you know, all the explanation about the science that it was scientifically based. And we conquered, oh, I would say that visible difference became two thirds of their um, skincare market. It was such a great product. So my science really uh, was something that always stayed with me. And that ability to connect and see how something might work from science into the creative world um, really worked at Elizabeth Arden. We had some very successful products and very successful promotions. And this will appeal to some of the women who very much are um, uh, uh, aware of the equal pay for equal work, which wasn't there in the 80s. I was offered a vice presidency and to take on the Elizabeth Arden international advertising as well. 55 countries that we were in and to handle all of that for vice president's title, but no extra salary. And I left. I absolutely left Elizabeth Arden and I started my own a company, International Creative Marketing, where I brought companies from Europe to America where they wanted distribution and I found them distributors. And I had that company for about five or six years, it was fascinating. I brought over the, um, one of the top companies from Italy that was uh, called Bracco. It um, had the fizzy vitamin C, as I remember, that was one of their main products. 
and they had a beauty division called the professionals and some other names that were there. And I um, suggested to them how they could find distribution in the United States. So, so let's talk about how you got into the fragrances that you're doing now. I love the science background and how you made it work for you in the area. And I actually remember that moment when, cause my dad was a doctor and I remember him telling me specifically growing up, oh, nothing penetrates the skin. And there was that moment when the beauty business discovered it did. And there were a lot of people who didn't believe it. It did. It, yeah. The penetration would only go through the top cell layers, not into the uh, blood layer. I can't remember the name of it right now. Right. But right. so we went 30 skin cell layers or whatever the, the, mm-hmm. uh, the phrasing was. But uh, the minute that you went deeper down into it the vascular layer, that became a drug. So we were very careful, but nobody ever said that. And right. I think it changed the face of skincare advertising. It was very, oh, very totally. Important. Yeah, very important. Well, absolutely. So let's talk about um, hope and let's talk about your, your work with depression. How did jump forward to, um, I guess it looks like 2017. Yes, let me still... jump forward very quickly because yeah. it's a very interesting transition. Okay. And, in my creative work at uh, independently and in creative marketing, I uh, had a client that wanted to do a skincare brand, and I brought them Terme de Saturnia, um, a spa from Italy, and I did the um, the deal where we got the licensing rights to their name, and we created the Dural Saturnia Spa in Miami, and I also got the North American distribution rights. So I had, I was in an enviable position where I'd worked so hard for years in this business and then had my own skincare line. And it just happens that the year that I launched that line at 38 Saks Fifth Avenue stores, I got married. I married the love of my life. And I found that I was traveling, launching uh, the brand in all these stores. And my husband was sitting waiting for me, either in New York or in Florida, where we also had a home. And I thought something's wrong with this picture. He never said anything to me, never said, you know, this is not, this is, this is not what I expected. Um, so I sold my share of the company back to the Doral Hotels. And I um, uh, decided to, I, I really couldn't work very much because any pennies that I would earn or anything that I would earn would go right to the government. So I decided to go into some of the causes and philanthropic causes that interested me. And I did that for a few years. And at one point, my husband and I had our accounting department check and we, we donated to over 200 charities in one year. And I think the entire time I was looking for something that meant something very personal to me, something that really stuck. Was it education? Was it medical? Was it uh, research or culture or opera or ballet or, or all of the very worthy things that we supported? And I found it right under my very nose. My mother had struggled with depression since, since her 30s. And at the time, it was just called a, a nervous breakdown. 
it scared our family. It was very not talked about. There was a stigma attached to it. It was like having this very painful, difficult thing enter your life and like leading two lives. Being with my mother, uh, wherever she was, whether she was in the hospital or at home or ultimately in a senior residence, and then leading my own life. And every time I saw her, I thought, why can't there be a total cure for her? She never got total remission. She had side effects. And she was never this creative force that we knew. So I was, I met with her, psych, her psychiatrist and other neuroscientists. I was introduced to people, one, one from another and another. And I decided that I would start a, um, a research organization to find out what was, what was the cause of depression and why weren't there more new treatments. Every treatment out there, every medication out there was a version of Prozac, which had been introduced in 1985. And in 2005, my mother passed away. And this is when I thought, and I got all this research together and I thought, I must be able to do something. If I can run companies and run my own company, I should be able to take this on and I always thought that the pharmaceutical companies did uh, all the new products and new medications. And the pharmaceutical companies, many of them, seven of the top 10 companies um, in the brain science business did not do, stop doing brain research for mental health issues because it was too expensive, because they wanted to simply repurpose other drugs. So. I decided to name this foundation after my mother, whose name ironically was Hope. And I called it Hope for Depression Research Foundation. I des designed a logo with uh, certain people. We did a marketing and a business plan for the foundation. And um, I founded it in 20, uh, six, 20, 2006. And we are now celebrating our 15th year. Research is very, very slow and ponderous. And it also um, takes years and years to get results that you can talk about in the media or that you can um, really um, make any claims about. And I had this, something came to me all of a sudden. I thought, why don't I do a fragrance? My mother loved fragrances. Every third week in May, wherever we were, wherever she had a garden, she would cut those lily of the valley and we'd bring them indoors. These things went through my mind and I thought, let's do a hope fragrance. And if we sell that fragrance and we reach even a percentage of the multi-billion dollar fragrance market in, uh, in the United States alone, we would get our message and raising awareness about depression. And we would get sales and have another venue for raising funds. And 100% of our sales, of our profits, went back to Hope for Depression Research Foundation. And I made this happen. It was an amazing story as to how I went to, to, the, top, I went to the top three fragrance companies and Firminish, who is one of the top three or top four, 
loved the concept and gave me their two best noses. And those are the people who have the sense, who design the fragrances, who um, create them based on the profile that you give them. I loved working with them. They were brilliant, wonderful people. I gave them what I wanted to do. They came back with submissions and I knew we had a hit when we were doing a little test on some of the women in the office and a few of them came back and said, you know something? We were in the elevator and there were men in the elevator. This was before COVID. There were, there were quite a few people in the elevator. And they said, we knew we, knew we had something special when, they, when the men followed us out, out of the elevator and said, where can we get that? What are you wearing? What fragrance are you wearing? Where can we buy that? Because we want to get it for our girlfriends or our wives. And uh, it was very interesting. It was an interesting, interesting progress to that uh, as to how we developed it and how we advertised it. And uh, we launched it originally at Saks Fifth Avenue. We went back to a store that I loved. And then two years later, we launched at Bergdorf Goodman and Bergdorf loved the concept so much that they asked me to do line extensions. And I created Hope Sport, which you put on in the morning when you have your gym clothes or your sweats on, you keep that on all day long. And then we also created Hope Night, which is a very sensual, very relaxing and calming kind of fragrance. And we have those, we have candles, we have uh, body butter, hand and body moisturizer. We did a real actual perfume, um, not just a cologne or a de toilette. We did a perfume with Hope Night and it's been a very, very exciting and very challenging uh, business, especially in the midst of COVID. We launched our new products in the very midst of COVID. Uh, last September. So we have a challenge in front of us as to how to get this to the thousands and thousands of people that I would like to reach. Um, and uh, meanwhile, we have a website, hopefragrances.com, where people can buy it online. And we have um, we have the product in Bergdorf Goodman and also online at Bergdorf Goodman. So it's been a very, very exciting um, time for me and an exciting journey. And I find, Leslie, that I've used everything that I experienced and that I learned in the past, right from my college education to work experience that I had to people that I met in the networking process of working in corporate America, working on your own in uh, having your own business and how you have to network. And, and I did that internationally, it was fascinating. And then going from a whole profit world where I understood luxury product marketing, but then going into the nonprofit world mm -hmm. and also combining the profit aspect of having just, you know, wanting this product to be so successful that we could also raise funds through the creation of this product not just to have to go fundraising all the time, which right. is, you know, taking your hat, your hat in your hand is difficult. People see you coming. They mm -hmm. know that you're going to want something from them if you have a foundation mm -hmm. and that you are um, have a particular goal. But I think both fundraising and raising funds through product marketing 
are both very challenging and interesting uh, ways to approach the particular issue that I've taken on. Can we talk a little bit about depression? Because I think this is, and why it's so hard to make any kind of movement forward on that, because I think as we come out of COVID, I think there's going to, I think people who are kind of just braced down, holding, getting through, I think there's going to be a lot of mental illness that people are going to hide or, you know, this transition back out is going to be very difficult. And um, Leslie, you hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. So how do you see our attitudes and how do you see your work actually impacting that? more important than ever. The CDC and Census Bureau did a combined study in the middle of COVID and they found that 41% of adult Americans have some type or some level of depression and anxiety. And I just had a meeting with our depression task force, a group of doctors that collaborate and psychiatrists and neuroscientists that collaborate and work together. And what they said yesterday in our meeting was that the after effect of this is going to be even more uh, monumental. And there is definitely a problem that we're going to be facing with more and more people who've dealt with it while it's happening, dealt with depression, but now there's going to be some lingering effects. What we have done with our Depression Research Foundation, we have put together a group of leaders in each discipline of neuroscience. For example, someone in molecular biology, cellular biology, genetics, epigenetics, and so forth and so on. These doctors are collaborating, which is unheard of. They share information in real time. They put it into a HOPE database and they are making great strides. We are in clinical trials right now at Columbia University Medical Center and at Mount Sinai in New York on a brand new category of medication that will affect those who do not respond to the Prozac type SSRI medications. Those are mainly serotonin and norepinephrine type medications. Everything out there is a version of Prozac. There is nothing out there in common use that is a different category. And we are in clinical trial with a medication that might help. 35% of people don't respond to the medications out there. We will help those 65% who need something to help them through whatever mental health issues they're going through. So this is very, very exciting news and we're, we're very hopeful about it. We also have a new brain, a new treatment. We have a new treatment initiative, and that is funding five different um, new treatment opportunities that have come to us across the United States from top universities, et cetera. So the idea is to get new, new approaches out there to keep understanding what causes depression and to try to reach more and more people with psychiatric help. 50% of the people who have depression don't even get treatment. They struggle. They have you know, major symptoms and, and nobody is, they're not going to anybody. They're not opening up. They're not getting help. It's really a crisis right now. Yeah, and what's helping, for example, 
are some of the new services where you are uh, doctor psychiatrists are reaching people via internet and doing Zoom. And um, we're we're working now on a whole new way of approaching people, interstate and intrastate, where you can get top doctors to consult with um, people who have no proper psychiatrists in their area, or they just or there aren't enough psychiatrists in their area. So it's a multi multi pronged approach to helping those who are struggling. But we definitely thought about thought about it and approaching it from you know many avenues. <clears throat> Our mission at Hope for Depression Research Foundation is twofold: is to find the causes of the depression, find new treatments and medications, and to find prevention of depression. And the other part of our mission is to raise awareness and educate people about depression. We have something that we print out and send out or we can send to you and maybe you somehow we can get it to your audience, the 10, the 10 basic signs of depression. And if you observe these, if you observe a friend, a loved one, and a business associate, if you observe anybody who you know is acting differently than they were, they may not be eating uh, uh, the same way. They're eating too much or eating too little. They're not sleeping. They're, not, they're sleeping too much or sleeping too little. They may feel worthless and, and tell you, I just am good for nothing. I just have done nothing right in my life and I'm just a mess and whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden, if you hear someone talking like that or someone who has a total loss of pleasure in their life, if they've liked and enjoyed doing certain things and they don't do them anymore, that's a clear sign that something might be wrong. If there's a combination of two or three of these signs for two weeks or longer, that is definitely a signal that something is going wrong. Um, and I think we have to be observant of our friends and our mm -hmm. associates and offer to help in a very gentle, kind way. Suggest that they see their family doctor, that if, if they want you to accompany them, if they're not feeling well, go with them. So, you know, there's starting points and uh, we can do as much or as little, uh, the more aware we are of this issue and how we can help. So in closing, Audrey, because we're at the end of our time here, what would you say to somebody who wants to do something similar to yourself? What is the, I mean, it sounds like pulling these two things together for you was the greatest part of everything you've done. I mean, of course, you've had a lot of different successes, but it sounds like actually marrying the business to the research and, and doing this great work is something that really motivates you. What would you say to people who, you know, who want to do that kind of thing? Absolutely. They, Absolutely. Do they have to make tons and tons of money to start out with and that's the only way in or are there other Not ways? Not at all. This is the most uh, intensive and productive and satisfying part of my life. The idea of giving back and doing something for someone else and, and others. Mine just happens to be so broad because depression is the number one reason in the world for disability. Can you imagine? I would say, first look inward, write down 
all the talents and skills that you you have that you may not have used. If you're a mother and you want to get back in the workforce, if you're in the workforce and you want to go do charity, if you're wherever you are, seriously, you know, sit down with a cup of tea, a glass of wine, but seriously write down the skills that you've learned, the skills that you have, and think about it very intensely. Write those down. Secondly, if you want to then think of what you do best and what would make you happiest. And you may have thought of what company you may want to start or what product you like or what skill you have that you might take into a pro, uh, take into a, a, a um, newly formed startup. Get the best people to advise you. Get the best lawyer, get the best graphic designer, get the best uh, business uh, person who could make a business plan for you. Don't skimp at the beginning. If you do it correctly at the beginning, you won't have to reinvent yourself later on. Your image, your logo, your signature, your colors, whatever it is that you want to represent you in the marketplace, uh, is, it's very important that you get it done correctly and you get it done with the best people. And thirdly, I think that you must believe in yourself and you never give up. Um, when I started the fragrance and I presented it to a few uh, retailers and a few distributors, they some loved it, obviously, because we got into two top stores. Um, and some just some distributors said, well, it just, you know, it's a one product or they said that it's, you know, uh, depression is still not so well known. And maybe people won't like that, it, that you know, percentage of the pro proceeds goes to a charity. And so I heard all a variety of kind of different statements. Just stick to it. Be positive. Don't um, don't let the first no stop you because a series of no's can lead to the best yes. Believe in yourself and just absolutely keep going forward. So thank you so much. Is there anything else that um, you would like to make sure everybody understands about you? They can find the fragrance. We know where to find that. Um, and is the 10, the 10 pointers, is that on your site or is there a separate uh a separate link if for that. anyone wants more information about depression our mm -hmm. website hopefordepression.org for mm -hmm. has the 10 signs 10 signs of depression and has much more information about depression and about our foundation and anyone who become wants to become involved whether it's volunteering we have the races of hope in southampton new york in palm beach florida we have fundraising events. If they want to become involved, if they have any ideas, we have a fabulous development department that will talk to you, hopefordepression.org. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I love this story. And really coming right now, it's a really important discussion to have. And it couldn't be more timely because yeah, of the pandemic and, uh, and the need for this. Leslie, thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. I hope, that, um, I hope that women will hear my message loud and clear to believe in themselves and to do whatever, take whatever talents they have and maximize them. And believe in yourself and count on yourself for the best things that you can do. 
Wonderful. Awesome. Audrey, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Leslie. Take Bye-bye. Care. Have a great day. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Audrey. I just love, I love just hearing how people use their ingenuity to advance different phases of their lives and become who they were always meant to be. And to find that thread that goes all the way back through when you were in college, what you learned, what you think you're never gonna use and you end up using. And I hope that if you enjoy this, you will subscribe and you will listen to all our fabulous women and how they reinvented. I hope it will give you not only inspiration, but actual tactical advice on how to move forward. And I'm hoping also that if you're interested in learning more about reinvention and how you can reinvent yourself, you'll wander over to Coffee Club. We have a lot of discussions about reinvention. We also have a fabulous download that I'm really excited about, which is called 31 Badass Tips for Launching Your Reinvention Without Fear. It's my 31 best tips that I learned while working at More Magazine and through my life and through my own reinvention and from studying people who have reinvented. And it's yours for free. Just pop over to the front of the site and put your name in there and we'll download it and give it to you. And hopefully it'll get you started. It has a lot of links. The most important thing about reinventing is that you get started one foot in front of the other, you will see it's less scary once you do that. The hard part is sitting there and worrying about it. Stop worrying, get doing, and come over to Covey Club and join us. Take care.